All right, Pridmore. So just about 10,000 miles in oh. like 28 days of riding my motorcycle. The big cross-country trip is over. I'm back home, and we're doing this podcast today. What's up, Pridmore? Yeah. You ready to do it again? What, the ride again? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. Let's do it. Oh, yeah, right. Zero I mean, the, la- the last couple days weren't that great because I really wanted to get home for this podcast because we have a special guest on here, and I know I have a good internet connection, and it's easier for me to edit on my big monitor. So I kind of freeweighed it the last three days, and that was a bit of an ass whip, to be honest. I, I, I did blow I off imagine. some really nice roads. Yeah, I blew off the Ozarks, and I wanted to really ride in the Ozarks, and I hadn't been before. Yeah, but Go when your battery's that. recharged and you want to go do it again. Yeah. yeah that's what you got to do. How are you? You're home. You get a couple Good. days at home. Oh, How man. are things? I'm loving it. I'm loving being home. I'm a little bit bummed because I had to, uh, I was supposed to go to Washington right before our next round, uh, or I'm sorry, right before Pittsburgh and in a you know, like a few weeks, but it was all just getting a little bit too muddied up and I had too much going on. So I had to cancel on going back up to the Ridge, which I'm kind of bummed on because this year we got the weather so hot and I know up there right now it's probably perfect. But anyways, so, but it's good being home. It's great being home. And uh, I'm excited about today's show just because, you know, because Jason's on with us. So it's going to be fun. Yeah. So what we're going to do on this show is we're going to be talking about Orion News. We're going to preview World Superbike briefly because they've got a race coming up. And then we're going to welcome in Pro Motocross and American Flat Tracks top commentator Jason Wygan in for a chat about a bunch of stuff. Um, And he's going to answer some of JP's lingering questions about Pro Moto because... Pridmore is just too lazy to do any research. It's true. So what's going to happen is, yeah, I'm going to be referring to these two people as Pridmore and Wygant because they're two Jasons and it gets too confusing. Because How I about JP and Weege? Doesn't they go by Weege? I could. I, I could do that. Yeah, let me uh, let me write that down. JP yeah. and Yeah, you need Weege. to write that down. I'll tell you what's interesting, though, is that I've been in and around Jason Wygant for enough years where... Mm-hmm. I can spell his name without spell check, and I'm pretty proud of that. That's so, pretty good. Yeah. yeah, and listen, hey, if you're new to the podcast, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Go ahead and smash that subscribe button. Every time <laughs> we upload a podcast, you'll be able to listen in. If you want to support the podcast with a little bit of your hard-earned cash for no extra anything, which is not true. I mean, we, we will have some stuff now that I'm going to be home a little bit more. You can go to our Patreon page. It's linked in the description or go to patreon.com slash Greg's Garage TV if you're interested in supporting the channel. And if you're new and you heard me talking about why I'm riding a motorcycle, I'm doing this thing called Greg's Ride of the Races. And there's some videos up on Greg's Garage TV YouTube channel. Subscribe to that. I have more videos coming, Pridmore. Um, But I've been holding off because number one, I'm a slacker. And number two... As this thing has grown in popularity, I have people like that are promising me stuff. You know, hey man, yeah. give me your logo. I'll make you an animation. Hey man, I'll take this photos of you so you can use it over here. And a lot of people give me a lot of good advice on how to, you know, get the YouTube channel larger. So I've been kind of putting some of that off, but there'll be more videos coming up. I promise. Love it. So now you you fly to Brainerd, right? You yeah. fly to Brainerd, and then do you know? Are you flying up to Jersey? Or are you riding up? There? No, I'm going to ride up to Jersey because that's kind yeah. of Hudson Valley's home home race type of thing. So it is, but also, you know, I wasn't going to, so I'm definitely riding a pit race and I'll leave it like a day early and I'll do some roads in between here and there. And that's kind of a natural one there. But in Jersey, you know, from where I live in North Carolina, dude, I was like, Oh, it's up to 95. I mean, it's so boring. I really don't want to do it. But then in talking to Dave, who's Kyle Wyman's main guy who lives in uh, Delaware, he was like, dude, why don't you ride up the one and then get on a ferry and then take the ferry to Jersey. Oh, and then yeah. you're like a half hour from the track. So I'll do that with a little different content. And then I'll ride down fun. to 
barber. Yeah, I'll ride a barber, go back through the North Georgia mountains, do some other stuff that I didn't get to do on the way to road Atlanta. And, um, but we'll see how that goes because I don't know what the plan is after that. Are we doing a banquet? Am I get to be involved in the banquet? Do I have to wear a suit? I mean, I don't know. Do you know? Let's shoot in saddlebag. Let's yeah. That'd be just fold it up. Nice. Nice. And, yeah. Yeah. The saddlebag. Go. All right. Listen, let, let's get cranking let's because, it. yeah. uh, so it's time for news presented by Arai. All right. Look, JP, have you heard about Hyper Ridge construction? Well, you're going to hear about it right now. Hyper Ridge construction circles around the shell and acts as a shock absorber, kind of like an automotive bumper, which improves shell strength around the bottom of the opening of the helmet and mitigates the spread of cracks in the shell in the event of an impact. Another feature that showcases Arai's obsession for protection. Obsession for that should be a bumper sticker. Another reason to go visit AraiAmericas.com for more information. You can find out about fit, finishes, and all kinds of good stuff. All right, let's launch into it because we're going to start with some MotoGP stuff, Pridmore. KTM test rider Danny Pedroza will make his competitive debut on the RC16 August 6th through the 8th at KTM's home track, the Red Bull Ring in Austria. He's 35 years old, Jason. He's won 31 races, 112 podiums in 13 seasons. What do you think about Danny Pedroza back in action? A couple things. I think if you read into it, like, uh, you know, I did a little reading on it, and Pedrosa basically from day one that he started with KTM had this in his clause that he could do a, a wild card, but he really wanted to take his time, he wanted to make sure the bike was competitive. I mean, it really sounds like the way he's tested has been pretty phenomenal in the sense that he's really paid attention to the race setup on a bike in the first third of a race, the middle part of a race, the last part of the race. And that's why you're seeing KTM be so successful now as he's, he's been like the ultimate test rider for them. Uh, and he's obviously stayed fit. I mean, he's what still seven years younger than, than, than Rossi. So it's not like, um, it's not like he's that old. And I, it goes right back to G dub. What I've been saying all along is these bikes nowadays. Uh, yeah, they're, they're hard to ride. Don't get me wrong, but they're way easier. Like there's no way, there's no way you would have seen somebody back in the 500 era or even probably 10 or 15 years ago take two or three years off, even as even if they were in a testing role and come throw themselves at it. Now, we also know that KTM's had a high level of success with Oliveira winning at Austria last year. So that bike's obviously done a lot of laps around there. They tested there a lot, um, especially since it's a Red Bull track and so on. So, you know, it's a place that he's going to feel comfortable. Um and it doesn't really surprise me. I, and I think he'll do surprisingly well. I, I feel like he could put the thing in the points uh, as long as his, as long as he's um, motivated to do so. We don't know exactly what his motivation is to do this race, so we don't know if he's testing. We don't know what he's exactly doing, but you got to think that he's he's going to be pretty keyed up to do it. That's really the the point right there that you made. Is he testing? Like, what motorcycle will he actually be on? Correct. Is he going to be on the next gen stuff? Is it sorted yet? You know, that type. So there's a, there's a lot of questions to be answered, but what do you think, what would you expect if you're Danny Pedroza right now, knowing the level that the KTM is able to accomplish, especially at, in Austria, what would you expect Danny Pedroza to, to do at the end of the day? Well, I think he's still fit and he knows what his lap times are around there. It's not like he's just jumping into this thing blind and not really, am I going to be on pace? It's not like he's going to some track that they've never seen. He's done a million laps around this place. And so I think that's going to add to his confidence. And, you know, when you already know as a rider, the lap times that you can do, and you could base it off the lap times that you saw the last couple of years, I think that, um, 
you know, I think, again, I think he'll be in the points. I don't see why he wouldn't be um, like that bike's fast and it goes well there. So, um, you know, I think he'll be right, in, right inside the points or somewhere in that area. I think. Yeah. I'm going to go with probably 10th, like top 10, maybe. Oh, you think it's going to be top 10? I, I do. For some reason, I just think that the stars will align in this one. I don't think Pedroza is going to put himself in a situation that, you know, would have him finish any worse than that. Like so we'll lay, saying, the, we'll, the, we'll lay the line at like 12 and a half. Is that what you're saying? I don't even understand what that means, but sounds uh-huh. good to me. Yeah, sure, it has like to do with under. betting, some type of gambling or some some uh-huh. addiction that you have. And yeah, so I'd probably I'll, take the over. I'll put 100 pennies on it. If I if I was a gambler, I'll yeah. put 100 pennies on it. No, right. I'm excited. I'm excited to have him back, though. I think it'll be fun to watch, see how he does. So it's, that's five KTM's on the grid, then, isn't it, for this round? Mm-hmm. Five KTM's. Yeah, that's great. I like. Hey, it. so how about this? Um, last week, about this time. Maverick Vinales, Alex Rins, Jack Miller, Polis Bargro, and Albert Arenas were actually spotted on street-going machines at Catalonia. Uh, I think it's an interesting trend, Jay. Obviously, with testing regulations and stuff, they cannot get on their GP bikes. But we're in the middle of their summer break, and some riders are going to the racetrack to improve or to keep, I guess, you know, the rust from forming. What do you mm-hmm. think about MotoGP riders getting out on R1s and multi-strata or multi-stratas <laughs> oh my yeah. god yeah Pentagales. Yeah. yeah yeah Pentagales and all that kind of stuff when you know just a few years ago you would hear stories like well this gp rider's never even been on a, a street bike before and here they are at suzuka eight hour for instance and now yeah it's get, becoming commonplace my question is did vinales have to go in and buy an r1 or did they give him one at this point you know what <laughs> well I mean? that was the whole thing no it said it said um <laughs> Did you see what it said on the side? No, what, I didn't even know anything about this. No. What Yart? It's a Yart bike. Oh yeah, yeah, Yamaha Austria. Yep. Maybe yeah. he's going to go race World Endurance next year. Who knows? That's <laughs> no. I think that these guys. It's a long summer break, and and depending like on where they are and where they're gone. I mean, a lot of those guys are are in Spain or live in Spain. So even if they go around and uh, they took a couple weeks off, they come back, they can still go out and do some riding and. Um, but Greg, this is something that's been going on for longer than I think a lot of us think. I think it just gets a lot more notoriety now than it used to. I mean, I remember being at track days in Spain and stuff uh, six years ago, seven years ago, possibly, and seeing seeing MotoGP guys out there riding Moto2, Moto3 riders on street bikes. Um, I remember being there and seeing Zarco uh, specifically. Oh, yeah. And he was, at, he was at both days that we did at Aragon. He was at both days that we did at Valencia. So I think these guys, just anytime they could be on a bike and be out there riding, I think is a is a good thing for them. And last week we missed out on this, but we wanted to say a huge congratulations to two-time Moto America champ Alex Dumas, the young gun, won his debut Superbike races in the Canadian Superbike Series. Dumas is on a Suzuki JP. What do you know about Alex Dumas cleaning house? And look, what looked like at least one of those races was like ultra tight, and he was able to pull it off. Well... Yeah, I stayed in touch with him all weekend, and uh, over, I, I think in qualifying, he had actually a pretty big crash. Yeah, he sent me the video from um, somebody who was following him, and he kind of high-sided himself off the inside of the bike and destroyed his A-bike. So he went out on his dad's, well, the bike that he was racing at Chuck Walla and stuff, which is more or less a street bike with a few bits put on it, and qualified fourth, and then... Yeah, I think he won both races, and it wasn't like the first one. I think he won a little easier. Second one was a little bit tighter between Ben Young and himself. And I think I think Jordan was there at the end too, Zoke. So, um, but yeah, he won. He ends up winning both races, and you know he's dying. He's dying to be down here. He's had a couple little nibbles as far as getting back down here, but nothing really good enough to really entice him to come back down. And um, 
And up there right now, he can make money. He's doing okay. He's doing all right in that championship. And they're, they've only got like a four-race championship, but they're trying to add two more races because Canada's still pretty locked down. But um, but yeah, he's the main Suzuki guy up there, and and he's doing some stuff with a riding school as well. So he's happy enough. He's got his pilot's license and so on, but I know he mm. wants to be here. Yeah, we need him here. He's a very talented, talented young man. All right, well, that is your news presented by Arai, unless you have anything else, Jason, to no, talk about. No, let's, let's get into the weekend because it was kind of weird this weekend being home and there was no road racing at all. Um, uh, we did get to watch some Promoto, which we'll talk about in a minute, but um, this weekend we're off and headed to, uh, to Assen, Holland, and I just thought we'd just talk a little bit about kind of our feels on what's going to be happening this weekend. I don't think we need to get into it too much. There's a lot of things up in the air right now, not in the air, but a lot of people talking about top rack, just dethroning Jonathan Ray. It actually kind of surprises me to hear people talking about it as much as they are. The top rack is going to be the guy to do this. Now, every great champion um, has got to lose. I just don't think Jonathan Ray's uh, Jonathan Ray is like ready for that to happen. I think we'll see him fight back. I think the, I think Greg, that the Yamaha will be a great bike around the Aston circuit. So I wouldn't put it past our own Garrett Gerloff to do pretty well there as well, considering he just raced there as well on a MotoGP bike. So I thought I would just kind of toss it in your corner. It seems like nobody's really talking about Ducati anymore, other than they're struggling. Um, the BMWs are kind of coming back, but now it's kind of between, you know, Top Rack and Ray, Yamaha versus Kawasaki. That's what right, it feels that- like to me. We've had Johnny Ray on this podcast before, and he, when he spoke about Top Rack, now this is several months ago, the one thing about Top Rack is the question mark still of how he does in full rain conditions. We know how he was doing in intermediate conditions. I just had a peek at the weather for the weekend for World Superbike, and we are expecting 80% chance of precipitation on wow. Saturday and Sunday. So the chances that it's going to rain in Assen, oh my gosh, what a shocker. This might be that turning point in the championship that really says to me personally, is Top Rack a title contender if the skies open up? Or is he still that dimensional rider that just needs that extra dimension of riding in the rain? So for me, you know, it's two points, Jason. And there's so many races. Anything can happen. It's a little premature to start calling, you know, Top Rack the champion, but I do think that it's exciting at this stage in World Superbike to have Johnny Ray not leading the championship just as much as it was last year when, you know, Bautista or whatever it was two years ago when, two whatever, years ago. I, two years yeah. ago when Bautista had totally checked out of this championship yep. and Ray started to claw his way back in. So, you know, it's one of those situations where I'm a little shocked as well as you are that people are like, you know, having the banquet for Top Rack already with a two point lead because obviously Top Rack's super talented. I just but, see the stuff that I just see the stuff that some of the people are are talking about, like even X racers and stuff. And <clears throat> like I, I'm just not that ready yet to go. Like, oh yeah, Top Rack's just going to come in and smoke. Uh, just going to come in and smoke Johnny. It's just I, I agree with you 100. percent By the way, I think if it rains, he's still going to be backwards. I mean, even at Donington, he qualified 11th. That first lap in the first race was, like I said before, was literally one of the best first laps that I've ever seen ever. And uh, for him to go on and win that race the way he did um in those half wet half dry kind of conditions he was willing to take big chances he took them he did well with it but i i do believe what you're saying in the rain now what do you think what do you think it's like over in the red camp right now do you think they're just standing there scratching their heads i mean i don't think Aston will be a bad track for the ducati but i definitely don't think it's going to be a good one for them 
they are they have to be scratching their heads at this I mean, point because it's yeah. like you know okay it's almost like what track we go into are we a good track oh no we're not okay well we'll just sit around and finish fourth or whatever but on the other hand if it rains ducati is one of the best bikes in the rain so i i don't know you know ray's won seven of the last ten at assen and so you have to sit there and go okay He's got to be the favorite going in, but the Yamahas are really good there too. So you got to put. I think Garrett could do really well this weekend. Yeah, so I, I mean, really do. I mean, Garrett too. Needs, he needs to have a clean weekend though. He needs to have a weekend where you know he gets through qualifying in a good solid spot in those first two rows. Then he can race from there as the weekend goes because we've seen him obviously be fast at uh, at Donington. We saw him fast at Mazzano, but he went out and crashed on his opening lap of qualifying, so it put him on the back foot for the whole weekend where he had to you know, he basically. Had to start from pit lane, if you remember, because of an infraction at the round before that in Portugal at Estoril. So he's already starting on the last row. But he goes out and crashes in the first lap at Mazzano of qualifying, which then put him on the back foot even more. Um, Garrett just needs a, a good, solid weekend where he finishes all the races. Because I think he's a top five guy all weekend long. And I believe he's fast in the wet. We know he's going to be fast in the wet. He might be Yamaha's best best hope in the wet. Well, that's what um, I'm saying. It, you know, you know. So, so then we're just talking about those three, and then you got to start adding Ducatis in there. Is Chaz Davis going to come out and have a great yeah. weekend? He can at Assen. You know what I mean? And then so and you then just never the, know with him. And and you yeah. got Alex, of course. Lowe's still recovering from uh, his ankles, but it sounds like to me he's doing a lot better. Just found out, funny enough, that him and Corinne are going to have twins. So, which is pretty cool. Oh, and uh, we also found out, by the way, as a side note, that he gets to go to the Suzuka Eight Hour with Johnny Ray. Johnny Ray. And, and Lucas Myas. And Lucas Myas. That is going to be a yeah. strong team for the Suzuki Eight Hour team. But that's in November, huh? So yeah, that sounds like November, a not the normal great, grueling yeah. time that they would do it now. <laughs> I don't the even. I guess IV yeah, bag time. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Right now, over there, it would just be. Uh, yeah. I mean, at the end of this month is usually when it is, isn't it? So, yeah. It normally is. So November sounds like a great time to do it. Yeah. But so, I'm excited. I'm going to be home for it, which is good. And I'm excited to watch Aston all weekend long. Me One of my too. favorites. Yeah. We'll be texting for sure. Oh, all right. Yeah. So that's our preview for World Superbike. Should be exciting. If you're wondering where you can watch World Superbike, worldsbk.com is going to be your best option, especially with the Olympics. Uh, I, I I think the chance of you finding World Superbike on NBCSN is pretty much slim to none at this point. Yeah. So I, I would go. Yeah, do the, the app. Do the app. Do the do the um, you know, do the website for sure. All right, so let's transition now to a racing series that actually happened last weekend, which is Pro Motocross. And we'd like to welcome in Jason Wygant, who is, like I mentioned before, he's the play-by-play or lead commentator for Pro Moto. He does American Flat Track. He dipped his toe into Moto America earlier this year. Hey, Wygant, what's going on? Yes, this is awesome. Uh, this is unsolicited. I was listening to your show last week. <laughs> Pridmore's like, we really got to get Weege on one of these weeks. And then I literally just text Greg and I'm like, I'm listening to your show right now. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, that's on me. I was supposed to call you right away, but I'm on the road. I'm making excuses. He you didn't want I mean? you, so, Weege. I did. He didn't want you, but I did. No, that is not true. Weege, thanks so much <laughs> for being on the show and thanks for making it unsolicited. So um, let's go ahead and talk pro motocross. All right, Jay, Pridmore. Yeah. I, got I know so you have. Things. I know you do. But let's go ahead and get <laughs> let's get through these results because do it. Uh, what, do what's interesting results. to do me, Wygant, Weege, yes, sir. You guys were in Millville, Minnesota, which I lo- I love that place. And Justin Barsha goes. Justin Barsha goes one two on a gas gas, wins the thing over Eli Tomac, who goes three four. Ferrandis, your points leader, goes two five. Chase Sexton, Christian Craig, 
Aaron Plessing, Plessinger uh, in six. Muskan, Kenny Roxon, who goes 40 and one. Yes, he Savachi crashed in the first turn Wilson. of the first moto, could not get yeah. up, and then comes back and wins moto two. So what? that's okay. good enough for so, eighth. Yeah. So, <laughs> so tell us about tell us about your perspective on the weekend. How were things? And what the heck with Justin Barsha? I love a guy who normally starts off fast and slows down. You know, now we're deep into your season, and all of a sudden he comes out and goes one two. I'm loving this story. You know what the weird thing about Barsha? Anyone that watches the races for a long time. Barsha is known as being wild and riding over the edge, and he's very aggressive, but he's actually not really crash prone. What I've always said about Barsha, and we have a lot of data because he's been racing since his 13th season, he tends to have a couple of races where he's on pace with the leaders, and then a lot of races where he's just sixth or seventh. So those couple of races a year where he just has it, if things break right, he can win those. A lot of times the opening round of Supercross, I think he's won it four years in a row. I think he's very good under pressure. So when everyone's a ball of nerves of the opener and they're like, I just want to see where I'm at. You can't win the title in the first race, but you can lose it. He doesn't care. He rips it. Last week at Southwick, he was pretty good. He was on the podium. He was good again this week. And then we finally had Ferrandis, who's kind of becoming the guy in the series, have a bad moto that opened the door. Roxon's second in the series. He crashes out of moto one. So Barsha, you know, on his on days, he's a top three guy. It becomes a win. Uh, He wasn't the fastest guy for sure. He didn't blow everybody away, but he just had one of his good days. And that's why they raced twice in motocross, right? You guys raced twice in Moto America, but they don't count on as two races combined into one. If they did that, you'd probably see these weird results every once in a while where it's like, well, on Saturday, there was one guy was fastest and he messed up Sunday. So someone else won the overall. Yeah. But you know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of Heron. Like completely Barsha and Heron to me are kind of like Heron will do that. He'll come out one weekend and he'll be fast and he'll just he'll just dominate. Like you'll see see him do things. It's almost like the underdog role works really well for Heron sometimes, and he's even self admitted that. And Barsha kind of reminds me of that because Barsha's been around for so long. But the last the last ten minutes of that first moto, he had Frandis pressuring him the whole time. And you know the one thing I like about Barsha and the one thing I like about Heron when it comes to this is that neither one of them make it easy for whoever is coming up on him. Or whoever they they don't make it easy. So the last ten minutes of that race, he you know he had Ferrandez pushed him hard. Tomac had come from so far back. I thought Barsha did a good job. I, I didn't think he was going to hold on to win that race. I thought Ferrandez would at least get by him. No, that is a good point. Like he fights for position, and it's always a tricky situation on our side of the media because okay, there have been times where Barsha straight up runs into guys and takes guys out. That is definitely part <laughs> of his ammo. Yes. No. This is not us telling stories out of school, right? This is no, what he's done. No, I know. Yeah, yeah, but there are other races. nickname's Bam Bam, Bam right? Bam, thank you. And yeah. here, here's what's weird to me about this, guys. So he moves to the Gas Gas team this year, and literally the promotional photo is him in his Gas Gas jersey with a baseball bat that says Bam Bam on it. But then, awesome. inevitably, at like round six of every year, he'll run into someone not that bad, and we'll be like, wow, that was an aggressive pass. And he's like, stop saying that stuff. I don't ride like that anymore. Why do people say this? And I'm like, you're the one taking promotional photos with a baseball bat. Okay? With this is yeah, bad on it. Yeah. Anyway, as yeah. you saw there, Pridmore, he wasn't dirty with Ferrandis, but no. he does ride a wide bike within the rules. He is aggressive within the rules. Uh, but even on the days where he's not dirty, he still is very difficult to pass. So that paid off. Yeah. <laughs> and even in the second moto. I thought the way he hung on to Roxon yeah. for the majority of that race was pretty good. I mean, Roxon made that insane great pass on him on uh, on the opening oh, lap, yeah. and and Barsha didn't. 
I mean, Greg, if you you got to see the second moto start if you do nothing else and watch the first forty seconds because basically I, I know they regroom the track I guess between motos it sounds like and uh, and Roxon just takes this line around the outside and his corner speed was a joke and I figured he's just going to check out I knew Ferrandis was buried and then literally you know three quarters into the race you know Bars is still a second and a half behind him and I'm thinking wow like he had speed there like horses for courses type of thing you know. But Weege, let me ask you this question. Do you think that some of Bam Bam's, you know, or whatever, Justin Barsh's reputation also plays into the strategy of someone behind him? Like, oh, if I stuff him at the wrong time and open up the door, this dude's going to slam into me. Like, do you think that that's in some of the other riders' heads? Or do you think a guy like Frandis is like, yeah, I don't care. He just couldn't find a way around him in the first moto. Actually, both points you made are correct. It is in the heads of most of the riders. Uh, I can tell you that at the opening Supercross round that Barsha won, uh, Roxon, who was trying to get the lead from for sure, was like, if I cannot pass this guy without contact, I'll just finish second. I don't want to deal with it. I've seen mm. Adam seen Cirillo ride that way. They are afraid to pass him for the most part. But I do not think it's that so affects Ferrandis. So in this particular case, I think Ferrandis just couldn't get him. Yeah. I, I think Ferrandis, as we'll get into in this show, really couldn't care less about anything except winning races. He has no hangups about anything else. And that's yeah. And I've got him written down here and it's great that Greg brought up Barsha the way he did obviously with him winning this weekend, but Ferrandis to me, you know, every year you come into these things and they just I mean, Roxon's that guy that if he gets a start and I almost feel like if he doesn't have that pressure on him where if he knows that Ferrandis or Tomac are buried, he can just put his laps down and he goes off and does what he did at the second moto. Um but I feel like if Ferrandis gets the start which he really hasn't this year. He hasn't really got those starts. He's always coming from fifth, sixth, eighth, or whatever, and charging halfway through the motos, especially when it gets rougher. But if Ferrandis gets the start, do you think he just kind of splits on these guys? You know, his, he's historically been a bad starter, and it's not just that he's bad at the start, but I think he doesn't get going. The first couple laps are just not his specialty. A guy like Roxon, as you saw over the weekend, his first lap is just unbelievable. Everyone else Insane, is getting a feel yeah. for things, warming up, seeing where I'm at. And Roxon's already at 100% go. That is the opposite of Ferrandis. So I honestly feel yeah. that, yes, obviously it would be better for Ferrandis to get a start than not. But it's not as big of a game changer. Uh, he got a whole shot rarely at our last race. And it took five or six laps. Then he started pulling away. But for the first few laps, everyone could match him. I think Ferrandis, yeah. it's just not the way he's wired, man. He's fine with starting eighth and then just mowing the guys down. He's just an animal. But, um, yeah. yeah, it is key in that sport. Everybody talks about the start, but there's also a who can go fast at the beginning and who can go fast late. That's a big factor. I think when you watch that race, it kind of defines who Frandis is. The race where they were trying to get him to slow down second moto, I think it uh, the last round, yeah, yep, Southwick, where yep. where the thing was uh, you know smoking, and you guys were talking about it smoking, and Plessinger was already out. Yamaha had to be kind of uh, holding their breath during that race, but you could see how disappointed he was that he couldn't go after Tomac in that race too. You know, I know he finished third, but he was uh, he was visibly kind of pissed off, wasn't he, uh, to finish where he finished because he wanted to go after those guys. Yeah, so if anyone's listening to this that's kind of, you know, on the side as a Moto fan and is like, what? Who's this Dylan Ferrandis guy? Like, how is he winning? And he's winning against Roxon. He's winning against Tomac. He's winning against really good riders, right? It's not like the field is weak or anything like that. Um, that's really all it comes down to. I, I was wondering in this sport, and I think road racing is already further down this road, right? Road racing is very scientific. They have data. You know, they know if you do this in this corner, you will go this fast. Moto is not quite that scientific, 
but I really thought we were at the point where everyone has a similar training program and they have data on the bikes and things like that, where you couldn't do things with just heart and determination as much as we think that's awesome and sexy and it's fun to talk about that on TV. But I do feel that that actually is what Ferrandis has. This is the mm. most telling thing about Dylan Ferrandis. So he had an incident last year in Supercross where he ran into, collided with, smashed Christian Craig. Christian oh. Craig is a rider from California. He did it in Anaheim. You guys saw this. This yeah. is a gnarly crash. And the fans could not have booed Ferrandis, who is French, any worse. No. And it did not bother him one bit. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Got some thick skin. Later in the year, I did an interview with him, and uh, me and uh, my, my producer, Chris Bond, who you guys know, were like, do you think you're at a disadvantage being a French rider in America? You don't get the fan support. You don't have your family with you, et cetera, et cetera. And Ferrandez said, no, I think it's an advantage because I have no distractions. I have no social life. I have no hobbies. I have only one thing to do, and that is ride my motorcycle. When I have a weekend off, I don't even know what to do. I wish we raced every weekend. So he <laughs> does not care what people think. Being booed on the Supercross podium doesn't bother him at all. He has no hobbies. And to me, that sums the guy up. I'm not saying that Roxham and Tomac and all these guys don't try hard and train hard and work hard. Everybody at the top level does, right? But I think he has a 1% or 2% extra gear, especially compared to other riders who've already kind of been there, done it. And I'm not saying they've dropped off, but maybe that takes a little bit of the hunger away. And this guy, like I said, is just an animal. So what do you think? I, I see you stern over there, Greg. Hmm. Well, yeah, because what I'm thinking about, Weege, is is Ferrandis becoming the number three that NASCAR used to have. Meaning, are the fans still looking at him as the bad guy? They don't like him, and he's out there winning. So is it driving more viewership? Is it driving more conversation that he's leading this championship? Or have the U.S. fans kind of settled into the talent level and the focus of this guy what are you feeling out there as it relates to the popularity of Dylan Ferrandis? Yeah, so the fan support, uh, it has gotten better. Uh, he does not care. We actually asked him about that. I think it's hard for the fans to not respect this guy. He's doing everything you want a racer to do, right? He's giving it his full effort. He does his best work late in the race when everybody's tired. He's a racer's racer. His whole life is designed to get results. It's hard to not respect that. So I think the fans have come around. But even now that it's positive, he's still like, I don't care. I didn't race for the fans when they were booing me. I didn't race for the fans when they were cheering me. I just want to win races. One thing to know, road racing fans are listening to this. He is a Frenchman. I got to talk to Loris Baz a couple times at your races, Moto America. Uh, Ferrandis is not Loris Baz. Uh, his accent is so thick, you can barely understand what he's saying. I feel like when Ferrandis does an interview, he says great things. He's very revealing. He's very honest. He's very unfiltered, just like the fans want. I think they just can't understand him, so they write all that off. Baz seems very friendly, very media savvy. Ferrandis does not care about any of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, ba well, Baz actually yeah. is good. Uh, yes. JP, like, yeah. because I actually watched a podcast with him on GP1.com, which was an Italian podcast. So he speaks English. He speaks fluent Italian. Obviously, he speaks French. And I think, you know, what's interesting, Weege, is that if you're a racer that comes up in the MotoGP series, Moto2 or Moto3, Moto2, MotoGP, they're encouraged these Moto3 riders to learn English because if you get to MotoGP, you've got to know, you've got to learn it because they understand that that's kind of a, you know, more universal language. That's why you see the um, international feed 
you know, the commentaries are the commentators are in, you know, they speak in English and then each country has their yeah. own version of it. So it's really important. So I can totally see where that, especially the way the United States is right. Like, you know, kind of cater to us sometimes. So it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Um, Jay Prid, uh, Pridmore, ask some more questions because I, I bet that you right. have some questions I, that I, I want answered as well. I do. And I want to fire through them because we, you don't understand, like we've had a lot of guys on this podcast, but I'm, I'm pumped to have you on here. Cause I, I've always got questions about moto. Appreciate it. Can you can you like just delve into the Tomac thing for me a little bit? Like, I knew arguably it. the guy's just so good, and we all know how good he is, and we've all watched it. But is it just does it get puzzling to you when you're sitting in a booth and the guy's like off the charts in Moto One, comes back and wins in Moto Two, and goes, "Oh, I was a different guy. I was a different guy in Moto Two. Look, Eli Tomac has been one of the most puzzling racers we've ever dealt with uh, already. I mean, the amount of theories we've had about Eli Tomac, who historically <laughs> will have. Look, 90% of the time, he's the best rider. He's not terrible even Unreal. when he's off, but he just, yeah, he just randomly gets a seventh a couple times a year, which we are used to. The very best guy is always the best guy, and then maybe he crashes out a few times. But Tomac instead will have a few races a year where he just is okay. He doesn't get 15th, but he just gets seventh. So we've been dealing with this for 10, 11 years now, and I didn't think he had any mysteries left. But this has turned even weirder. Okay, so he was last year's Supercross champ. He didn't win the title this year. He was the three-time motocross champ. He didn't win that title last year. I thought this was a simple, look, he's 10 years in. He's lost a little bit of that edge. And I don't know if it applies as much in road racing, but I think so because I hear what you guys say, for example, about Rossi. And, and now it's going way further off that edge for Rossi. But what I always say about athletes is they don't lose the peak. The first thing they lose is having that peak anytime, any place, anywhere. It goes from they're the fastest guy no matter what to on the right day, on the right track, they can still do it. They just can't do it every day. And I don't know if that's a risk thing where they start thinking on the day they don't feel comfortable, they don't send it anymore. I don't know if they wake up some days and their body feels bad and when they were 22 years old, they felt good every day. I don't know what it is. But I felt like this was an well, explainable, that guy, that, oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry, Go sorry, ahead. Jay, sorry. No, yeah. But that guy in Supercross, okay, Supercross to me is so different and it, please tell me if I'm wrong on this, but Supercross is a deal where uh, it's it's so much different than outdoor. And the laps that you see Tomek do outdoor, where he's coming through the field, and he's so much faster than everybody else, and you know how gnarly and burly the track is with edges and ruts at, going off the faces of them, all these jumps at the speed they're going in outdoor compared to Supercross. And it's like he's so head and shoulders above everybody. And like when he even caught those guys in the first moto the other day, I could understand why he ended up third because he came from so far back. He charged as hard as he could. And at the end, maybe just didn't have enough in the gas tank. But, but there are days where his speed is so outstandingly, amazingly better than everybody else. And you think this guy's just going to wipe everybody every weekend, but he's another guy that can't get starts. Yeah. And for him, luckily it didn't matter because he could go that fast, but okay. So I was seeing like the natural decline of like, we're, we're entering the realm of Tomac has a couple of races a year where he's still the best guy, but he can no longer be the best guy every single week, no matter what, which is like, I think a pattern that you see all the time. I mean, would, for example, isn't that the trajectory for Rossi? Isn't that how it worked for Rossi? The best guy every week to the best guy some weeks. And now eventually even at his best tracks, He's no longer the best guy. Wasn't I mean, that kind of, yeah. kind of, it kind of went like that. The only thing with Rossi was, is that he, he went to Ducati. You know what I mean? Right. Like so he, the data got a little skewed. Yeah. There. The, the, the yes. data got skewed, but yeah, yeah, I mean, more or less, and you're absolutely right. We do see a rider in decline. And I think to add to that, Jason, it goes, uh, we, it goes off of, I think 
when the raw desire, raw speed, raw send it starts to decline, I think some weekends you see them win purely on experience at that speed. And you see them outfox some of the younger riders, which is what we saw Rossi do. I think, you know, when he was still winning, but winning yeah. less, uh, yeah. you know, so I, I really like the point that you made that, yeah, it's like you, you, you don't lose the peak. You just lose that peak more often. That's yeah. And, yes. and you get to the that. stage. You're exactly right too, where you get to the stage where you start circling the tracks. Well, Rossi's won here seven times. Maybe this will be the weekend. And it's just like, now it's gone so far past that, that stage where sadly it's like, you just know he's going to be in the bottom third of the field every weekend now. And it sucks. Um, and I think that moto guys, moto guys kind of get out before it gets that bad for them. You know, like you don't, you're not going to see a guy, you're not going to see a Eli Tomac finishing 20th overall and be no. like, still showing up, you know? No, he's not going to be here 10 years from now, which is the equivalent of Rossi. But I, So I thought I had to figure it out. I'm like, this is just where we are with Tomac. There's going to be a couple of races a year where he just feels good that day or the track is the track he likes, and he still can do the old Eli Tomac thing. He just cannot do it for 29 weekends a year anymore. But this first and second moto thing, out of all the mysteries so of trying to solve this guy, he's got another one. Yeah, I, He's going eight one in these yeah. races. Yeah, so, he won, didn't he win like the three second motos in a row before this row, last yes, weekend? Yes. Southwick, so, he went eight crazy. one. He was yeah. terrible in moto one. He couldn't pass anybody. And then moto two, he blew everybody's doors off. Now we're only an hour apart between races. This isn't even Moto America where it's, or World Superbike where it's two different days. A day. Yeah. It, it's an hour apart. So it's I don't know insane. if this is the most advanced level of this. Sometimes the older guy feels it and sometimes he doesn't. I don't know if this is the most advanced form of that we've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, or 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 Weege, it's a it's a fact that his team goes, okay, here's a setup. And somehow with the feedback Tomax bringing in Moto One, within one hour, they fix the bike so well and get it so dialed in. You know, it's like I mean, I yeah. He's honestly said no. Like you never know how much truth you're getting out of these guys when it comes to bike stuff. But he's like week to week, moto to moto, we're not changing anything. He's like, I don't understand myself. Yeah, he just uh, said he like changed some lines up in moto two, and you're sitting there thinking, well, he's seasoned enough where he could have changed those lines in moto one and maybe found some ways around guys and done things. But I agree. Now, my second question, real quick, because like I said, I got a few, so I don't want I don't want to take up all your day, Jay, but like. When is it that one of my favorite riders, I think probably a fan favorite, every, when is it that the AC train kind of starts to leave town in the sense that, like, does Cowie give up on him? Does he go somewhere else? Like, it just seems like seeing Cirillo has got all of the qualities needed. Obviously, he falls way too much, gets hurt a little bit too much. Um, I don't know how badly he was hurt this last weekend. I know he didn't start Moto2, but are there are there already murmurs? Can it be fixed? Can he... Can he be the guy that I think so many of us thought he could be? This is a really tough situation that Kawasaki is in. They have already committed to seeing Cerullo as their future. As you guys might have heard, I think you talked about it on your show a couple months ago, like Tomac is going to Yamaha. Now, I've heard conflicting reports over he wanted a change. And, hey, that is something, I guess we go back to the Rossi thing, that is something you see guys do, like to freshen up their program. They try a new team. Maybe it was Tomac's decision. Some people have told me, no, 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 he was sniffing around for other offers. And then when he went back to Cali and said, I want to stay, they're like, nah, nah, nah. You're sniffing around, we're done. I've heard both stories. Huh. Either way, Tomac is out at Cali. And they put in their press release saying, Eli Tomac has done great things for us. He will not return to the team next year. We have Adam Cianciarulo. We will announce another rider to replace Tomac. But Cianciarulo essentially is our future. So they have now pinned their future on, as you said, Pridmore, someone who has all the tools 
but this is clearly no guarantee. Mm-mm. He falls a lot. He's got this issue with his arm. I would not be surprised if he calls it a season here and, and gets that fixed. He's got like a nerve issue in his arm that he tried to get fixed in the offseason. He had a procedure done. It didn't work. Uh, so he's got a different procedure that he says will work this time. Uh, but he still crashes a lot. And there's always something. He's always fast. And there's always something that always goes wrong. Always something. So, always yes. something. And it seems so like Cowie to be like, yeah. that's our guy. Five years from now, you're going to look back at this and be like, we made the right call. It's like 50-50 right now. <laughs> yeah, like he's like, he's like, I just love the kid. I think he's he's good in front of the camera. I've liked him since he was young in that sense. He was always very artistic and articulate with how he uh, how he talked about, you know, his races. Very And, and it just, it's, it's a bummer to see kind of how that goes. Now, as far as team switches go next year, are they, they're bringing in, is it true Jason Anderson's coming to Cali? Is that kind of what the story is? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Um, in this sport, it's kind of weird. Uh, they Everybody's contract usually expires end of September, so a lot of times you won't hear anything. We all know Tomac's going to Yamaha, but it's October 1st. You'll probably see a press release. Whoa, breaking news. So that might be the case with Anderson <laughs> to Cowie as well. Yeah, And that affects the yeah. donations stuff too, right? Because they were talking about, you know, it'd be great if Tomac could go, but Cowie's not going to support that if he goes to the donations and all that stuff, right? Yeah, uh, well, Cowie doesn't support, and that is a, a world team event that's pretty unique in motocross. You know, we're lucky in the motocross side where bikes and tracks are similar enough where you could have, you know, you couldn't have Moto America versus Moto GP, right? Like, it's not the same. Right. Uh, the, the bikes are not the same. Yeah. In motocross, you can have an event like that, uh, but Kawasaki does not see the benefit. So they've held Tomac out of that event the majority of the time he's been with them anyway. So even if he was staying, I don't think he'd be racing anyway. So yeah, this all. Every year, we end up with five guys who would be like the first picks for the team who mm-hmm. end up not going for one reason or another. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, Greg, do you have Moto2 results up? Do you have those? Yeah, yeah, 250. Give us some Moto2 because I got Moto2 questions too. Well, yeah, 250 okay. stuff you mean. Moto2 yeah, Moto yeah. is MotoGP. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. I was thinking. I was thinking. <laughs> same sorry. concept. Okay. Yeah, sorry, uh, yeah sorry, same sorry. concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> All right, so, you know, I don't know if this is a surprise to a lot of people, but the aging veteran, one of my favorites, J Mart, Jeremy Martin, of course, from Millville, Minnesota. It's his home track. He goes 1-1, scores 50 points over Moseman, uh, Justin Cooper, Jet Lawrence, and Hunter Lawrence. And so in the championship, Cooper has got 243 over Jet at 237. Hunter's right behind him at 210. And then J Mart, who missed a couple there, he missed the high point, I think, right? He crashed it. Thunder Valley, I believe, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, he's way back. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, J-Mart starts the year, goes win, second win, and then now he's at, you know, win, win with another third place finish in there. Um, so that's the results from this one. Surprise for you that Jeremy Martin goes and wins at his parents' track or what? Uh, it, when you put it that way, it shouldn't be a surprise, right? But uh, <laughs> right? he... Dude, he's riding with a bad shoulder, a broken wrist, and two broken fingers. And last race at Southwick, he crashed a lot. He the crash has obviously affected the results, but even when he wasn't crashing, when you saw him ride, you're like, man, he is not right. Like he's these injuries are too much. So yeah. for him to all of a sudden one one even at that track, and honestly, he's always been very good in the class. He's won the title twice, but it's not like historically when you go to that Millville track that his parents own, he gets ten percent better than he usually is. He's just right. usually as good as he normally is. So I was shocked to see that. And what it really indicates to me is no one in this class, these younger guys who haven't won this title before, none of them are good enough or prepared enough or experienced enough to grab this thing by the throat. We have had six winners in six rounds, which is an all-time record. 
And a lot of it is because no one can even string two good weekends in a row together because they're all learning. Oh my gosh, this is pressure. I got to win this title. What do I do? Do I not just ride not to crash? Do I try to dominate? I don't know. They're all messing up literally every weekend. It's that simple. Well, you know, the reason I was asking you, there's a couple things about uh, the set, the race in the 250 stuff. The reason I asked said Moto2 is because in my notes, I put Moto2 crash in the 250 class. When they were... <laughs> it was a Moto2 crash. You're right. You know, and and that, that's why I put Moto2 because uh-huh. I knew it was in Moto2. And, uh-huh. and so I have it written here. No, I do. Seriously. So no, I know you do. But my question is this, like when it comes to, when it comes to flagging historically motocross to me, even at a local level, when I motored all the time, Flagging is seriously one of the worst I've ever seen in any other sport that there is. And Moto, it just takes that that title like so easily. To see these guys go four, five, six banging into each other. Um, of course, poor RJ Hampshire is stuck in that again as well. Um, but I mean, what is going on with the flagging? Like, isn't it does a moto make enough money where they can Well, you're really to... putting the pressure on Weege on this one, JP, no, aren't you? I gotta ask yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I gotta know, isn't isn't flagging like the worst in motocross? In Supercross, it just seems awful to me. From from what I can tell, I don't have nearly as much experience in the other forms of racing to compare uh, like you guys do, but it does seem like it ends up being an issue here uh, quite a bit. I know, well, here, here's actually the proof, right? Um, you guys on your show every weekend are complaining about the rules of the officiating and changing the results after the race have too much yeah. of an impact. It is too yeah. much of an impact where it's like the rules, the officiating, the flagging doesn't have enough of an impact. Like it doesn't change anything like they just ride so here's what i'm trying to figure out it is true the stereotype is oh they just have these local yokels that know nothing about racing doing the flagging to a degree yes but there are actually times at supercross where it's like all the local 50 plus year old riders who've been racing their whole life they're the flagging crew it's like every year we get to be the flaggers of supercross we have the best seat in the house it's the coolest thing ever a lot of times the dudes holding the flags have more experience racing than anyone else and the yeah. stuff still goes awry. So we had an issue yeah. two weeks ago at Redbud where um, Ferrandis and Roxon both had a, a points penalty, not a massive, not a Moto3 level, the entire race order flipped penalty, but flags are waving. They got penalized. They jumped the jump when you're not supposed to jump. And I think, honestly, the riders, they're not thinking about flags or penalties. They're racing the track. Yeah. So the flaggers get the blame all of the time. But I don't think any motocross rider, when he's in a battle, when he's locked in, is looking to the side of the track or in his peripheral. They catch it most of the time. Yeah. But they do not catch it all the time. Yeah, that was like that was a really bad look. I mean, for seeing those guys just piling into each other and Yeah. And so I have on. to go back and watch that one. I hadn't the flagging thing hadn't occurred to me when I saw these guys crashing into each other. I'm just like, Yeah, that's the chaos that happens. I have to look at the time yeah. because I don't know. I, I have to look back to see how long from beginning to end is that? Is it only like six seconds where like, dude, a, a guy raising his wrist one time in that six seconds isn't going to change anything. Yeah. I'd have like, to look back. What's weird is like, you know, when I used to ride moto all the time, I remember there was a day I went out and I went by myself and I never, ever, ever, ever go by myself when I used to moto. And one of the things that was funny to me is I get to this track and the whole time there, I'm a little bit like, uh, and I went out for my opening lap and I came up over the top of this jump and I just rolled it the first time. And as I roll it, there's four guys, bikes and bodies in between. And I'm like, whoa, there's no flaggers. <laughs> there's nothing. So I stop, of course, and I've got my hands up and I'm mm-hmm. and I literally once once the people at the track actually caught wind of what was going on and saw everybody stopping, 
they all come out and I literally rode back to my van, loaded it up and went home. Cause I was like, you know, it's like, and, and I've seen it in Supercross. I've seen it in all those other places. Now get back to the racing side of it real quick. Um, when, when you talk about this 250 class, I have to think again, the one guy that I, I think will win the championship and I'd love to hear your view on this, but I think Jet Lawrence has the speed. I think he has that kind of mentality if he can get a start as well, because he struggles with starts, but Jet Lawrence seems like the guy to kind of win that championship. Um, seems a little quicker, obviously, than his brother and so on. But I mean, do you think it's just a case of him again, just getting bad starts, maturing in this second half of the season to try to try to wrestle this away from Cooper? Yeah, he was my title pick as well. He's only 17, so the label is, oh, he's going to be fast, but he's going to crash a lot. He actually was pretty consistent last year, which was his first year. I think that he's gone so far into, okay, do not crash, do not crash, do not mess this up, be consistent, that he's turned every race into management mode, and that has allowed other guys to sneak in here and get these wins. And as I've always seen a million times, you can say on paper, just don't crash out, just get third, salvage a fourth. Meanwhile, the dudes that are winning are getting the confidence. I feel like at the beginning of the year, he had a big edge on everybody, and he should have gone all out to try to win races and stomp everyone and just make them say, yeah, we're just racing for a second. This kid's got to speed. But instead, it's gone the opposite, where now six different guys are all like, yeah, this weekend at Washougal, this one's mine. Uh, and now he's got a real problem on his hands, and then starts to gone away. And a lot of that, we can talk about which bike has the horsepower or, or whatever. Oh, yeah. I think I think it starts getting in your head when you have four or five motos in a row where you're buried in the back. That's a slump, and I don't know how quickly you dig out of that. I think it almost starts feeding on itself. So now I think he's put himself in a real bad position that he could have avoided if he just went out and dominated uh, early. But I think early he was just like, "Don't screw it up! Don't screw it up! Don't screw it up!" Sounds good on paper, doesn't work in reality. Yeah, he's just he's not that far behind. I feel like he'll. I think he'll get it together because he's another one of those guys when you watch the 250s, it's like his speed sometimes is like, oh my God, look how fast this guy's going. And I think, you know, I think the last guy for me, and we talked a little bit about AC, and even though RJ Hampshire has been around for a while, he's another guy with tremendous speed. But I, I hear it in your voice when you talk about it on the telecast. It's like, I've been in that seat before where you see the same guy making the mistakes and you, you can't be too critical, but on the same side, it's like, Gosh, when's he just going to put it all together? I mean, it's it's shocking that that guy hasn't won a moto yet. It's exactly it. It's exactly uh, you. You there's a forum such as a show like this where we all can get a little more opinionated, right? Uh, on television, yep. you know, I, I feel like it's our job to we report, you decide. You know, our opinion <laughs> yeah. or, or or throwing personality into it. That's for shows like this. So yeah, absolutely. When I see Cincerlo wash the front end and push too hard into a corner for the 900th time. Same thing with RJ Hampshire. Uh, you you, you want to almost say, come on, man. But yeah, we don't say that on breath. TV. But obviously that is the reaction. Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, cause I yeah. pull for guys like that. You know, you see how hard he works. I mean, even you oh, yeah. said it in that after that Moto2 crash. I mean, he was five laps down and he was still standing next to his bike waiting for those guys to undo that uh, banner out of his rear wheel like he was going to get back in it. It's like, you feel for guys like that, and because he's another guy. And Greg, I don't know how many of these you've watched this year, but I think I think and Weege would know. But I, th I think Weege counted like six crashes and two ra two rounds in races where it was like, and then he got high centered at Southwick and he couldn't get off that berm. And I was laughing. I'm like, this poor oh, that's guy. Too, that was so bad. Yeah. Oh, I felt bad yeah. for the guy. So yep. I figured there'd be a thousand memes on that, but there weren't. 
<laughs> Maybe the people do feel that bad. I mean, yeah. Has that ever happened in the history of the internet? Who knew? Yeah. 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 Kidding, no kidding. Right? Yeah. Uh, yep. JP, so, any yeah. any more questions about Moto before we move on here with Weech? Because well, no, I mean, I, like I love having him on here, and I watch stuff, and and yeah, I mean, so when we got to finally meet you this year at VIR, it was it was it was great, and it was uh, it was really cool for us too. How much you threw yourself at road racing? I mean, have you been a fan of road racing for a while? Okay, well, now that I've done two uh, events with you folks and it wasn't a complete disaster, now I can tell you that I wasn't following Moto America nearly as closely as I said that I was <laughs> coming in. Yep. yep. I was like, of course, man, I'm a motorcycle guy. Of course, I follow everything. I have to assume where the, like, which, which things I have to cover and which I have to know from a fan perspective and from a professional expert perspective and i did not see a phone call from moto america on the radar i did not see that call. you know what i mean yeah uh, i follow moto gp really closely because nbcsn already had a relationship with them and that's who i work for and there were some pre and post race shows last year that i may or may not have been able to do depending on scheduling so i'm like i gotta go all in on moto gp and in the ama superbike days when i feel like supercross motocross ama superbike were more closely aligned so to speak you never knew maybe i would get a gig there so i followed it a lot more closely then so it was a full cram session for moto america i'm not gonna lie i happened to be in atlanta for the opener thanks to our guy g-dub here who hit me up out of nowhere yeah. to do the two up ride yeah so i got a little feel for the paddock um took him five but, hours to text me back by the way pridmore all right awesome. just to let you know oh, he's awesome. just staring at his phone going do i really want to talk to this asshole <laughs> i don't blame him I, I was scared. I was like, is too. he setting me up for something? Is there, is it, why, why would he do this? Why? So here's what saved me guys. I, I have to give massive credit. The paddock, the racers in Moto America are amazing. They yeah. are by far uh, the best group I've ever worked with. The only thing that even comes close, the first series I ever worked in this sport was, uh, it was cross country, which is off road. And that's that at that time, those guys were like any presses, We'll take anything. So they were very friendly, but that was like one main pro class. So I had to talk to maybe six to 10 riders and then you have the series good enough to do the television show. I mean, we're talking five, six classes here and every, you know, 10 guys in each class and every one of them was so friendly. And by the way, way more forthcoming with bike setup, riding style secrets. They shouldn't be telling me. I don't know why they were so cool, but it, Save the You're day. Welcome. I can only watch and read so much. So <laughs> You're welcome, buddy. The watching and reading. I, what, what, did you train them? What, what, yeah. Why? More I, or less. Yeah. You did? Um, what do you mean? Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I, I'm not going to – I can't take all the credit for it. I mean, these people are doing it. But, yes, I mean, over the years that I've been in the sport, 25 years, I have always kind of just been that way with people like – the more information you give us, the more we can give to fans, the more people will be invested in the sport. And so many people in our sport have taken that on. And we have been through as a sport, you know, the the highs and the lows. I mean, Road America, our attendance this year gives you an idea. There was the second highest attended uh, superbike race ever at Road America. Only race to beat it was 2006. And, you wow. know, when, when it's really big and the money's flowing, teams get really tight about the information. And I used to go in there and just say, guys, we need more information. We got to let people know. Then the DMG days and they nearly destroyed the sport. And then everybody with the leadership of Josh Hayes in the paddock at the time was like anything you guys need, any information, anybody who wants to talk to us. And we've kind of held that a little bit. And, you know, that's kind of the thing that I do 
I, I try to preach that to the, to the people that I meet in the paddock, you know, especially new people coming in like, hey, more people. And then we have leaders like Richard Stamboli, as Pridmore knows, that are very open with that information, that are totally willing to share it because they feel the same way that we feel, which is the more information that we share, the more information we give, the more fans will be invested, the more knowledgeable that they are, the more we'll keep them around. So, yeah, I don't want to take full credit for it at all. It's not that. It's the paddock. But definitely it's been on my mind for 25 years. Yeah. Well, what I, I just want to now say, bro, yeah. if I knew this was going to be a compliment to a G-dub, I would have never said it. No, no, I didn't. He goes on these rants, Weege. But to, to his credit, I'll say this. Shut that up. It goes back to what you said just now. You know, when you're on TV, we're not there as commentators to bury people. We're not there to – we commentate on what we see, and I think that yeah. that your what you said there was was absolutely true. It's okay to be critical if if criticism is really needed. When you get a guy that you see is struggling, that might be either a a good guy or or a guy that uh, is just trying. You look at AC. How can you be critical of him? He's trying his best. He doesn't want to fall any more than you want to sit there and report that he's fallen again, right? You don't want to. I mean, it sucks. Yeah, and and so when you gain the trust of the paddock, like, like literally like Greg has over the years, it makes it a lot easier for guys like me or you or whoever to come along after, especially if G-Dub says, Hey, Wigan's coming to town this weekend. You can tell him whatever you want to tell him. It's going to be fine. It, there's definitely something to be said for that. So, um, and, and it does, it does make it a little bit easier, but you threw yourself right at it. I mean, some of the stuff, even to the, when I saw you walking around at VIR, I was cracking up because I walked by you while you were doing, uh, like the lunch thing, you know, where you're walking around the paddock. And I'm like, I couldn't even do that. I could not believe actually that our <laughs> producer, Rich O'Connor, put that on the list. Like the first day I was ever at the track, you're going to yeah. do a lot of 20 <laughs> minutes walking around and you better find eight people to interview in 20 minutes live. Yeah. Um, Welcome and, to your first day at the office. Yeah. 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 But I'll give you a perfect example. I went over to the uh, Tyler Scott camp over in the back corner and I'm talking to his crew and they tell me something that they should not tell me. Which is like, hey, you know, you know what he learned from racing in Europe. Um, everyone wants to be Mark Marquez and hang off these bikes and and be all aggressive. But on these small displacement bikes in these classes, your body's just a giant sail. You have to be in line. You cannot ride like a MotoGP bike, which has two hundred some horsepower. So they told me about all these tricks that he learned to ride, not hanging off the bike in corners, to increase his aerodynamics. And I'm like. Why? That's like the greatest secret he probably has, and they're just telling me this, and they met me two minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. that was a microcosm. I got a hundred stories like that, but yeah. even in Moto, with the relationships that I've had over twenty years of being there, they're very honest, but they don't tell you that level of secret stuff that they don't want their competitors to know. I was shocked. Very helpful. Thank you, G Dub. I guess. Yeah. Uh, no. 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 Yeah, yeah G Dub. I was busting. Shut up, idiots! I was just kind of busting it. balls in a way, but in I mean, way, the thing it. the thing is, Weege, like over the years, that's the one thing Jason kind of touched on it is I just don't have the you bombshell. You know what I mean? Like I'm not giving anybody secrets away, and they do. Teams will do that, especially in the years when we didn't have traction control. I mean, I had teams pull me aside in Superbike. Traction control was illegal, but but there were teams running it, and they would pull me aside and show me how they were doing it. And I'm like, you guys, I'm the media. Why are you telling me exactly how you have this whole thing working with the GPS and this sensor and that sensor and how this sensor is not legal, but you're running it? And they're just like, we wanted you to know how we were doing it. And I never burned anyone on air because there's no advantage to it. Like, who cares? 
You know what I mean? From my perspective, it's, it's more racing to me is more built on people connecting with other people, take the helmet off the rider, get him connected to the Jake Gagne's, the Bobby Fong's the, you know what I mean? The Valentino Rossi's of the world. And I think that's part of what, why Valentino is able to stick around so long with the lack of old success that he has had is because you see the amount of 46s in there, but nobody's rooting for traction control. Nobody's rooting for a front wheel speed sensor. They're rooting for a person. Right. And so that's kind of been the right. perspective of it all. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's by far the most open paddock I've ever worked with. And if it wasn't for that, I would have been dead meat. Um, so thanks. All everybody. right. Couple yeah. questions though, as we move or we move forward, let's move oh, real quick to American Flat Track. We were going to talk more about this, but they got rained out over the weekend. But yeah. things are happening in American Flat Track. Uh, in the in your premier class, the the Mission AFT Super Twins, Briar Bauman is leading this championship over Brandon Robinson. Mies is back, poof, like twenty three points. You guys still have half your season to go as you're commentating that stuff for for NBCSN. How do you see this series playing out right now? It was actually looking pretty vulnerable. Briar Bauman had kind of become the guy in the series. <laughs> he, he was able to beat Mies once, and then last year Mies came back more hungry than ever, which is hard to believe because Mies is one of those guys. Unlike, say, what we were talking before, where as years go by, sometimes you lose a tiny bit of it. That's not really the case at Mies. The guy is hes more like a Ferrandis to me, like he's only concerned with one thing and one thing only, winning races. But Bauman was able to beat him two years in a row. So I'm like, Bauman is taking over. Bauman's only been like an A, not an A+. plus. Like the end of last year to the beginning of this year, he was looking a little vulnerable. Mies kind of tweaked his knee, couldn't take advantage. Brandon Robinson's been very good. But for the most part, it's just falling Bauman's way. Um, but like you said, there's still a lot of races left. But I think for a, a brief time, the, the, the two-time and defending champ was, it was up for grabs. And I think Bauman's starting to take it back. Yeah, and what's interesting, it's kind of a one- at this point, it's just a one manufacturer series with Indian. But uh, yeah. I was in Owensboro two days ago and stayed with the Haydens on my Greg's Ride of the Races thingy, Majiggy. And uh, Tommy Hayden showed up, who's the manager for the Essenson Racing Team. And Roger took me over to the shop and I got to hang out with a couple of the guys over at the shop. And what I got to see was a brand new chassis for the Yamaha um, in the you know AFT Super Twins class. I can't go into much detail about it because it'll be made public, I guess, on Friday. There's a test at uh, Port Royal before the National, but they're going to test this new chassis. So they're trying everything possible. The Yamaha team is, Estenson Racing, to get the power to the ground. They said the, the motor's no problem. It's based off the MT-07. The Yamaha is. They're making 100-plus horsepower, you know, that type of thing. But it's all about digging in to the dirt. But when you are there and you've seen practice a few times and all that kind of stuff it, the indian just looks impossible to beat sometimes doesn't it well it has been uh, historically uh, i think it's only been beat a handful of times and uh the yamahas are very good when we get to a tt which probably makes sense you know you get a little more road racing ish there and then by the way you have jd beach on that team and when it comes to using a front brake and going into corners in that road racing style he's almost literally a mile ahead of everybody else. Like we had this weird <laughs> He's pretty OTT. Good. At, He's pretty good. Yeah. And Atlanta where it even had a paved corner under braking. Uh, he dominated um, on actual ovals, which is the majority of the series. Uh, Indian came in, I believe in 2017. They haven't been beat much uh, or if ever, maybe three times. So obviously the Indians far ahead and it all comes down to traction. Um, they built a motor that apparently is based on the, 
know, the XR750 was the bike that won in that series, the Harley Davidson for 40 some years. And it's like they took the principal idea of that motor, which is just like heavy crank, a lot of inertia, great traction. I don't think it would make for a great, you know, a fun bike to ride on the street because it does not want to rev at all. But that's not the goal in flat track. The goal is for that rear tire to connect to the dirt coming out of a corner. And everyone's still trying to figure out how to answer what they've put out there. All right, before we let you go, I have something that came out in the news that I thought was very interesting that I want you to weigh in on. So Triumph announced, Triumph Motorcycles, that they're going motocross and enduro racing, all right? And obviously, Ricky Carmichael's an ambassador. You've been through moto long enough to see when KTM, I would imagine when KTM started and how long it took really KTM, which is now Husqvarna and Gas Gas as well, to find success, like consistent success. What do you think about Triumph announcing that they're going to enter motocross and enduro racing and come up with, you know, some bikes that are going to compete with the powerhouses that are out there now? It's pretty shocking because, okay, I don't know if you guys have noticed, Suzuki. Suzuki's a little bit struggling a little bit. I don't know if you guys have noticed in the, in the marketplace. Uh, <clears throat> a little bit, yeah. A little bit, a little bit. Uh, obviously, at MotoGP, they're, they're doing quite well. They are the defending champ. Maybe it's not quite as good this year, but they're certainly competitive. Right. Uh, in most aspects, outside of MotoGP, the talk every weekend is, I wonder if Suzuki will ever come back. I wonder if they'll ever be back. I wonder if they'll ever get back to where they were. It's all about the past. Can they get back? Right. To me, I've always said, I don't think it's going to happen because all that has happened to me over the 10 or 15 years is KTM has come in and taken a large part of the market share that Suzuki has lost. And at least on the motocross side, there have historically always been four, maybe four and a half brands. I'm like, the pie is only so big, and whatever the economics are, there's not enough sales to support six manufacturers all in, or eight. So I'm surprised. We now hear Beta, who is a trials company. They're actually racing motocross for the first time ever now in Europe, and they said they're going to have a team in America next year. Now this Triumph thing is coming. It all seems super smart because COVID has exploded, bike sales have exploded, but I guarantee you these plans were put in well before that. So what were these companies seeing in 2018 and 2019 to think that the pie is going to get large enough for us to get our slice? All I can imagine is these European brands, be it Beta or be it in this case Triumph, are just seeing KTM making a lot of money and just thinking, why don't we attempt to go after that? That's all I can think of. Um, unfortunately, most of these new brands that come into motocross, it usually doesn't work. Um, but when they first come in, everybody's excited. We'll see what happens when a motorcycle is finally revealed and people actually ride it. Uh, but we've seen these attempts before and they usually don't work. I, everyone wants it to work, though. Trust me. More brands in the paddock, more teams, right? Who could complain about that? Yeah, right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. W uh, one of the things I thought about initially was that brand building for the older audience in the sense that where Triumph makes a lot of money, BMW, KTM, they make a lot of money is in the adventure touring segment. And I'm almost thinking, is this a brand move for the future that says, let's go ahead and start to build the brand in motocross, supercross, because we know that moto people, when they get older, or if they discover street bikes, they want to blend you know, they want a bike that's going to do it all, that they can go off-road and utilize those skills. But to be able to ride from place to place to go, you know, to get on these off-road trails. And so I thought, hmm, 
if we if BMW announces in the next year or two that they're going moto racing, that it might be <laughs> that you know what I mean. It might be that situation, and so that was one of the things I was thinking about with Triumph. I'm like, you know, they really just don't have a stranglehold on that ADV market yet. You know, the adventure touring, they have good capable motorcycles, but they don't have a name. They don't have the name of KTM of even Ducati's got a bigger name in, in that segment. And what we do know is that those bikes are $25,000 plus. And so with a $25,000 motorcycle means big margins, big profit margins. So I, I don't yeah, know. That was part, joke, of, part of also the motocross side. We always joke on the motocross side that like every local motocross racer thinks he's owed a sponsorship and a discount and what can you do for me where every adventure rider comes in and is just like, I'll not only pay MSRP for this thing, but what kind of accessories you got hanging on the wall that I'll also pay MSRP oh, for, please. right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So, oh, yeah. so I, I don't know how much money would be wrapped up if you had to write a check for the motorcycle you're riding around, Greg, but it's more than a motocross bike, right? So, uh, yeah, it's maybe a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the point there is maybe they're seeing it as you're, as you're implying a flagship, so to speak, which I've always hoped that was the case because look, I hate to say this for everyone. I do not see a pathway. We've had a nice bump here with COVID, but I don't see a pathway where motocross bikes are going to be like they were in the seventies when everyone in California could just literally ride out of their garage and they were selling hundreds right. of thousands of them. And parents were dropping kids off at tracks for the day and coming back yeah. eight hours later. Like, that's not <laughs> happening. Anymore. So different. So different, yeah. Right. So my hope always has been, it is true that they might not ever sell as many motocross bikes as they once did, but it is still highly respected, kind of like MotoGP, right? It's just a flagship thing. We're not necessarily saying this is a real R1 that you can buy or a real GSXR that you can buy. But this is the flagship of our brand, and maybe you'll buy something else from our brand if we can prove ourselves at the pinnacle. So maybe this is an indicator of that, which would be great because then my point is, is the pie really big enough for this many manufacturers? Wouldn't matter as much. So hopefully yeah. you're right. Again, G-Dub. But, but also, Weege, the risk if Triumph fails, right? And the brand, and it's 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 a monumental oh, yeah. task. It, it's going to take some years. I, I fail to see... The triumph rolling out a motorcycle and getting close to the top, you know, the top five right out of the box. I mean, it took KTM a long time and a lot of dedication and a company model that says ready to race. So I, I, I have fingers crossed for triumph, but I'm very interested to see how this whole thing turns out because I think it's, it's a tremendous risk. If they fail, you have an entire audience that's going to look at triumph in not a positive way. I think. Yeah. But G dub, honestly, it, and when you look back at it, when the announcement was made that Triumph was taking over the Moto Two cha- um, motor um, deal program, yeah, program, yeah, I mean, I was the first one that went, "Whoa, Triumph's doing that!" Like, I think that there's a lot more technology, and I think there's a lot more stuff built into Triumph than than we actually give them credit for because nobody really talks about Triumph. Everybody thinks Triumph is an old school company, an old school brand that came through with some bikes and this and that. But but that really, you know, when you look back at it. I, <laughs> And the reliability of these motors in Moto2 have been astonishing to me. Mm-hmm. And that's probably uh, a short-sighted view on things. But I thought, oh, man, Triumph's going to get involved. There's going to be a lot of pissed-off racers because these motors are going to be blowing up every weekend. And it just wasn't the case. I think they've done a remarkable job in Moto2. And that is like as big of a world stage as you're going to find in the road racing sector of things. So um, they're going, you know, they go after somebody like Ricky, uh, Ricky Carmichael and... I think that there's a lot more. There's, there's probably a lot more built into this over a how many years is this going to take us period than anything else. I mean, 
what KTM's done in a relatively short time. When you think about like we talk about it all the time here, we just that what must Aprilia or some or a company like Aprilia think? What's Honda thinking right now in MotoGP that KTM is actually a better bike to be on than Honda? I mean, I, Honda has always been the number one. Everybody wanted to ride for Honda. Everybody wanted to be on Hondas regardless. And now you don't see that. It's it's pretty wild. And I think Triumph is, I think they'll make a footprint. Yeah, that's a great point on the, on the Moto2 thing. And yeah, I think KTM, uh, they did that. They rolled the dice like that too. They had the off-road market really handled and then they're the ones that say we want to race MotoGP, which some of the number figures I've heard thrown out of what they're spending in that program are staggering. So you're yeah. like, man, if this <laughs> fails, if this fails, the whole thing could be sunk. And I definitely heard, you know, three, four years ago when this MotoGP thing was first getting started, like people not happy, like they're going to kill them. They're going to yeah. kill the heart of their market to spend all this money to lose in road racing. Didn't happen. Looks smart now, right? Yeah. Uh, but the risk is massive. But you know what? I guess KTM was making the same play there. We need to have the flagship. If we're going to really be a street brand, we have to succeed at the peak of what street bikes are, even though MotoGP bikes are ridden in the street, but that proves you can do anything. So yeah. maybe that's for Triumph. If we're going to sell adventure bikes, we have to win motocross races. And KTM has said over and over again, they're not even going to make a super bike. Now, generally what we see is MotoGP will translate into yeah. some type of 1,000cc you know, sport bike, whatever, and and KTM has come out and said, look, man, we, we did it the RC8. We're not doing it anymore. And so, you know, they, they made the announcement today that they're having this new motorcycle launch. I just posted up on Instagram about it. And it's like, you know, wait a second. Not you're doing legal. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing a hundred bikes that are only racetrack ready. They're based on your midweight bike or whatever. What are you guys up to? So it's interesting to see where KTM's going, but I mean, look, it needs to be said that I like Triumph as a company. It's the only motorcycle I own. Only motorcycle I own right now. Well, I mean, I own some off-road, like, you know, XR100. But the only street bike I own is a Triumph Street Triple, a 2015 model. I like the bikes. I'm just curious to see where this leads them. But obviously, Weege, like you said, the plan was in place. Because when RC announced that he was partnering with Triumph, and he was like, yeah, I'm going to do some, you know, adventure touring stuff with them. I'm like, what? There's some other stuff going on here. And so, obviously, the plan was in place to use RC to either help develop a bike or ambassador or whatever, as they start to roll this program out. I'm very excited to see what their motocross and enduro bikes look like though from triumph. So pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, the only advice I'd give for them is um, a couple of times when brands have come in and try to do the motocross thing, uh, the all time gaff was uh, Cannondale, the, the bicycle company in the late nineties came in and they were smart. They were coming in when four strokes weren't quite the thing yet. And they were going to make a four stroke. And it was like, man, they could have really been three to five years ahead of everyone else. But from what I could tell from that program, they had three or four philosophies that they thought all the other motocross bikes lacked that they were going to do better. And they made theirs very radical. And it seemed awesome on paper. The bike looked great. It's like, this thing's going to be awesome. But it was like, oh, I guess the current bikes are the way they are for a reason. Like these concepts do not work in the real world. And then I don't know if you remember, but BMW did make a push once. They made a 450 enduro bike. Um, it had some new concepts. It failed miserably. They actually rebranded it as a Husky because BMW owned Husqvarna for a brief time. And the whole thing just was terrible and didn't really take off. And then I even heard part of the motivation for Stefan Pierre of KTM to purchase the Husqvarna brand was to be like, haha, now that BMW has failed to fix Husqvarna, I'm going to do it just so I can show everybody that we're smarter than BMW. 
Well, that would that would make sense because those two duke it out in the adventure touring market, like no two yes. like like Indian yes. and Harley Davidson do. So that makes yeah. a lot yeah. of sense. My point is, a couple of times when these newer bikes come in, they always make the mistake of we're going to clean sheet. We're going to have two or three things that are totally different than anybody else's bike, and it sounds awesome, maybe to an engineer. But then you later find out, nah, the reason all motocross bikes are kind of similar is because this is what works. So you know what we we'll that happened on the road. Up. It happened on the road race side when Eric Buell and the in the EBR program, he is married to two concepts, and one of them was having the fuel tank actually in the frame, in the perimeter frame, and then this single disc inside the inside the wheel. I don't know if you've ever seen it. So it's got this massive six piston brake caliper, but the actual rotor itself is attached to the inside of the wheel. And honestly, as a street bike, one of the best trail braking bikes I've ever been on. It's absolutely phenomenal. But when they went to World Superbike to compete in World Superbike with, uh, boy, Jay, who was it? Jeff May and yep. uh, Aaron Yates Pegram and Larry Pegram and so yeah. on. The brakes just didn't work. They would overheat at that pace. And it took them forever to convince Eric Buell to just let us try to use a traditional twin you know disc braking system and that's attached to more the hub and he finally you know immediately they went quicker and and that was kind of the end of the program because when you're attached sometimes emotionally to that bit that you think is better engineering wise than anything else out there but it really doesn't work sometimes that can be the demise of a program yeah the bmw they made a 450 again. It was only an enduro bike, but we all know if that had been successful, they probably would have made a motocross version of it. Their whole thing was, you know, motorcycles have this weird thing where the counter shaft sprocket is ahead of the swing arm pivot, right? Which leads to this weird chain torque thing that everybody is just used to because that's the way motorcycles always are. Um, on a motocross bike, people don't even know that they do this, but you get on the gas when you're landing from a jump because it tenses the chain and actually stiffens your suspension. This is just what people... They don't even realize they're doing it. It's just the way you're programmed to ride because that's the way all bikes have always been. So they had the countershaft sprocket on this BMW Enduro bike and the swing arm pivot were together to eliminate the swing arm pivot having any effect on the chain torque. And I've heard countless engineers over 40 years all say like, this is a weakness. We have to fix this. This, this is a problem. This, this Having the suspension affect the chain is bad. But for whatever reason, it isn't bad. So they built a bike designed to eliminate that problem and everybody hated it. So what works on the engineering bench doesn't always work in the real world. So careful, <laughs> careful, everybody. No, no doubt. Well, we yeah. thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for the conversation. It's been very insightful. Pridmore, is there anything that you want to wear Weege out about? Yeah, but I got to do it over lunch. Cause I, oh. I think yeah. I still have, I still have stuff written down. I'm like, I'm like, I mean, I know how long we've gone on already and, and all that but yeah it's well it's, i got uh, questions for you guys maybe maybe this is maybe my payback will be having you guys come on my podcast so then i can ask <laughs> you, you well i mean stuff. you you can have Prid, you can have pridmore on you know because he's more knowledgeable than i am but uh anyway About go ahead what not even close well no greg you already paid it forward you got the whole paddock to to be friendly so oh my you already god did. that's gonna haunt me forever oh man i should have <laughs> i'm gonna edit that out <laughs> i think god i hey, know the editor is it is it just a matter of this? Let's say Moto America, the crowd's coming back and everything as you're talking about. Let's say money comes flowing back in and there's tons of factory rides. Does it just lock back up as far as the secrecy? Is that really the reason that we're just more talking to private teams and privateer riders and uh, they don't have overlords who'd be like, why would you tell somebody about that bike? 
Yeah, I think is that so. a big factor. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I honestly, to, to be honest, I think it is because when the money increases, you know, so does the secrecy because everybody's trying to, you know, to keep what their competitive advantage, you know, close to their vest. I mean, it happened a couple of years ago when Yamaha was really battling Yosh. Yosh had made a mid-wheel change in the middle of the season. And I went and talked to one of the crew chiefs because obviously I look at motorcycles and look at wheels. And I just said, hey, you know, you guys have new new wheels. How's that going? And they're like, good. And they told me some things. And and I always do check, uh, Weege. I always say, hey, listen, is this something that I can say on the air? And it was approved, you know, by the person I spoke with. So I said it on the air. Oh. And then Don, yeah, Don Sakakura had a meeting basically Monday and basically just told everybody, shut up. What are you doing? You know, yeah. like... Like yeah, we now yeah. have an acceleration. We, we've got better acceleration. We've got better mid corner speed because we changed the wheels and you guys just told Yamaha, you know? So, <laughs> and so that's basically, yeah, I would, I would have to say based on my experience as the ebbs and the flows of the 25 years in the series, if there was more money, if there were more corporate involvement, which obviously we, as you know, from press releases and the way corporations like to handle things, there's a tighter lid that gets put on stuff. But when you have people that are more privateer based, you know, like the Richard Stambolis who are leading the way in this paddock or like the Westby Racings that are willing to have me sit down and Jason and, and Pridmore have them sit down in front of a computer and look at squiggly lines and explain what's going on. Uh, it, it's it's really helpful for us. And so I think that that's kind of where we are. So, yeah, the answer is yeah. I think that there's a point to that. I don't think it'll ever get back to where it's as top secret as it used to be because the bikes are more simple than they used to be, too. Like back in the day when when super bikes were what they were here in America uh jason they had they had uh you know there was so many specialty specialty bits and things being developed behind closed doors that you wouldn't really know everything that was going on i mean we could go on forever about you know what honda used to do with cylinder heads on 600s back in the day and things like that but it's but fifty thousand dollar shocks that no one else could get yeah i mean i think those days are a little bit behind us because things are a lot more visible now and i think the way the rules are laid out that the bikes aren't maybe as like say trick as they used to be. So you're going to see little things here and there. Um, but I think that a lot of it is a lot more transparent now when, when you look at the, the actual bikes themselves, like you can tell things to the naked eye, you can see differences and changes that, that maybe you wouldn't have been able to see in the past, but I definitely think it would, we, well, let's hope that it does. I mean, I would, I would, I would love to have a little bit of secrecy, more secrecy getting involved. If we had the likes of Cowie and Yamaha or Cowie and Honda and so on, getting back involved in the series. I mean, I, it'd be great. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So. Yeah. I mean, I'll miss the days of an entire team being Jackson Blackman and his dad. And he's like, yeah, I got a friend in NASCAR and he gave me wind tunnel time and I got this fairing that's going to give us three more miles an hour. And I'm like, why would he tell me this? I'll miss those days where it's a guy and his dad or the entire team and they don't work for Yamaha and there's no tethering to what they can say. But yeah. you're right. I'm sure... If you're Jackson Blackman and his dad, you'd rather have a nice check from Yamaha Correct. and then not talk. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be nice. No, there's no question about that. And I think that our series, though, we have so many different classes where we're still going to have that grassroots feel in, the, in some of those classes. Like Twins Cup, to me, is a bit of an anomaly in our series because when it came out that we were going to run a Twins Cup class, again, it was another one of those things where, oh, great, we're going to have a bunch of people building bikes in the garage that you know who knows how reliable they're going to be and it's been actually quite the opposite and it's actually a fun race to watch manufacturers have gotten involved it's been a great place for our junior cup kids to move up into another uh into another realm rather than just go to 600s because kids like jackson blackman who do just have their dad or other kids in general uh super sport is pretty expensive um and there seems to be a small group of people within twins cup that 
want to spend money and get involved and help some of these younger guys. So it's kind of a progression for them to go from there to Twins Cup and then on to Supersport. Yeah, that's been it's one of the hardest good. things for me to figure out with with road racing. The the compared to motocross, the equipment and the rules and things like that matter so much more. You know, the, the you you win or lose a little more based on the bike. And I've, I've followed MotoGP. My gosh, horses for courses, right? You guys already know coming into a weekend. This is a Ducati track. This is the Yamaha track. That is not nearly as prevalent in motocross. So that's, that's the hardest true. thing for me very to adapt true. to. Where I'm just based on like, well, if this guy won the last two races in a row, he's on fire. And it's like, yeah, but those two tracks aren't like this track. Forget all that. <laughs> I think like, the closest oh, wow. thing you come to that in motocross is the closest thing you come to motocross and that is when you walk into a stadium and you see a super, super big, long whoop section, <clears throat> you might look at different riders and think, okay, true, this is a Plessinger thing now or a Tomac thing because they're going to get through the whoops better than Webb or whatever, right? So that's kind of like your equivalent would be what the actual track has that a certain rider might like or dislike. Yeah. Plus, that's, plus that's the other about thing it. about You're road right. racing, the other thing about road racing too is that um, the, uh, I think unique to a lot of motorsports is the tires are the difference. I mean, th- these bikes are built from tires up. So whatever tires you know, you, we saw the shift in MotoGP from Bridgestone to Michelin, and the difference of how those motorcycles are made, the length of them, the ride height of them, the the stiffness of the suspension, the stiffness of the chassis and swing arm is so much different than they were on Bridgestone because of the characteristics of the tires. And you don't see that as much, you know, in flat track, you don't see it as much in, in pro moto, supercross, any of that stuff. So road racing tends to just be its own unique sport. With that said, it's difficult. You know, what you did, Weege, to come in and perform at the level you did with the information and stuff in such a different sport. People look at it and go, what, they're motorcycles, right? They have tires on them and, and they have a yeah. motor in the middle and a swing arm. They're the same could not be further from the truth, especially the way you ride those things. But anyway, listen, we could go on and on and on, but I'm tired. I don't want to edit this stupid thing. All right. We're already at like an hour and a half at this point. So I'm tired of talking to you people. I appreciate, I, yeah, exactly. Um, but I appreciate your time. Weege, thank you so much for being on. We appreciate it. Jason, you want to say goodbye to Weege? Yeah. Weege, thanks so much, man. It was a pleasure having you on with us. Thanks for taking the time. And listen, Jason Wygant, I meant to say this earlier. How do we find out more information? How do we follow what you're up to? Give us all your stats, your information. Can I get your digits, bro? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, nobody cares. You can find me if, if you need it. Uh, the primary job during the week is racerxonline.com. I'd like to say that we're probably the, the biggest media uh, name in the game for motocross. That's kind of my gig mm-hmm. running that website. So racerxonline.com or type in my name, Jason Wygat, yep. which only Greg White can spell. Uh, <laughs> hello as you said nicely done uh that's me on instagram also actually where the real fun is uh is uh our, our racer x motocross supercross news uh, youtube channel where uh that i believe is what inspired you to invite me to atlanta to do the two-up ride yes to do a video there and that's kind of what got this whole thing going correct the weed show i love that the show. weed show love yes it. just yep. Yep. Vlogging from the pits. So, uh, yeah, RacerX online YouTube website. That's what pays the bills, everybody. All right. So, thanks, Thanks, Weege. A look ahead to the race calendar. World Superbike in the Netherlands. Pro Motocross at Washougal, Washington. And I looked at the forecast. 89 degrees and sunny. You'll want to go to that one. When I was there at Washougal, it rained all day long and still about 40,000 people showed up. That is Hmm. a nuts place to go watch a moto race. Go check it out. AFT is at Port Royal in was that Pennsylvania. National Enduro 
in Cross Fork. Yeah, Pennsylvania. NHRA Pro Motocross in Sonoma, California. BSB is at Brands Hatch this weekend. If you can find that, check out that racing. And some of the world stuff you can find, let's see, uh, World Enduro in Sweden, FIM Motocross in Czech Republic. So is the FIM Supermoto. So that is this podcast. Pridmore, as always, you want to take us out of here or what? Yeah, let's have a good weekend of watch some racing. And then, Greg, we're back on the road in a couple weeks. So uh, enjoy your weekend, everyone.